Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello there, God bless you, and welcome into the study today. We are very glad to be back. We finally got our computer in and all the software transferred over and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that has to take place to get one of these out. And we're very glad that's there, that, that time has come, that we can get back on the air. And we're ready to hit the ground running. I'm going to be picking it back up in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1, so we'll just go ahead and get right into it. We ask for... Clarity and understanding from my Father in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? What he's asking is, is this the first advent or the second advent? Naturally, John the Baptist knew who he was, but he was wondering, is is this the time that's going to usher in the end, or is this the first time? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go ye and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So what he's saying is, if this were the second advent, there would be no lepers or illness, because as soon as Christ comes back at the seventh trump, we're all in spiritual bodies. Therefore, these are signs being given, showing that he is the Messiah. He is coming to bring salvation. Therefore, it's the first advent. Verse 6, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Now this reed shaken in the wind, that means any time the wind blows a different direction, that that reed will lean this way or lean that way. It kind of, it goes with the times. But John wasn't, he was steadfast. Verse 8, But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment, old fine wardrobe. Behold, They that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. That's Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And what he's saying is you didn't go out here to get your ears tickled. You didn't go out here for this guy to tell you how great you're doing. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was telling it straight like it was. And he wasn't fancy. He was in camel's hair and he ate locusts. I mean, he was a straight, just straight up prophet. He didn't ask for nothing else. And he wasn't going to tell you what you wanted to hear. He's going to tell you like it was. Verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven 
is greater than he. Now, what this is, is leaning towards is John the Baptist is, he was an amazing prophet. He was the one chosen to lead the way for Christ, to prepare the way, that, to till that ground so that when Christ came, that seed of, of the word that he came with, that gospel, would be received. And what he's saying is even the smallest in heaven is greater than him. Well, why would that be? We're in your spiritual body. You have a 100% recall. You know everything from the time that we were created in our spirit, which is all the way back before the downfall of Satan. Uh, if that's a little deep, it's, it's all right. Just, we covered that in depth in the Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 study. So if you need to, take a listen to it. But we, we were created millions of years ago in the spirit. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now this violence, what this is talking about is that the kingdom of heaven is forcing itself upon men's attention. It's not just being subtle. You see, Christ is on earth, and he is showing them, look here, this is the kingdom of heaven. I'm healing this person. I'm, he, he, he was going through cleansing folks. He was doing all these great miracles and basically being forceful in the sight of man of, hey, this is the kingdom of heaven, instead of being real subtle. Now, I hope you understand, I'm not saying he was shoving it down anybody's throats or anything like that, trying to just begging and pleading them to come. But instead of being all background and, and kind of, in the dark, he was right out there on the streets, right in the middle of the of the meeting places, doing these miracles. He wasn't backing up from it. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. What did that just say? All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Why is that important? In Mark 13, chapter 13, along about verse 28, Christ says, Behold, I have foretold you all things. Now, how has he foretold us all things? Through his prophets and through the law, through, through this word. And all of that came to pass. All of these, these prophets spoke until the time of John the Baptist. And at that point, now we have all this history to read, and we can look forward to the prophecies coming to pass about the second advent. Verse 14. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, or Elijah, which was far to come. At the second advent, you'll have two witnesses. And Elijah is one of them. Most likely, Moses will be the other because he showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you have the, the prophet and the lawgiver. And Elijah is supposed to come before the time of the Lord, before the second time of the Lord. And what he's saying here, if you would have received Christ... If they would have all repented at that moment and turned and believed upon Christ, then that John would have been Elijah. But he was not. He was John. He came in the spirit of Elijah. But they did not believe that Christ was the Messiah. They crucified Christ. Therefore, it was the first advent, not the second. Verse 15. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's a very important saying. It is mentioned or is said many times in the book of Revelation. 
And every time it is said, it's what Christ is doing is kind of saying, hey, perk up, listen to this. If you if you receive this, then that's wisdom speaking. Verse 16, but wherein too shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, fellows, and saying, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he hath a devil. What he's saying is, they're kind of spoiled. They're kind of babies. They're easily offended. If you look around the world today, that's where, I mean, this is just describing this generation exactly. It don't take much to hurt somebody's feelings these days. If it, if it don't sound exactly what they want to hear, or if you might take a little too much too much truth to somebody. Oh, they're going to get offended and they're going to cry about it and they're going to do something. You know, they're going to have their little way about it. Verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking and they said, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So what he's saying is we just can't make these folks happy. John came in on the straight and narrow and they accused him of being a, a devil Christ came in speaking to the sinners because that's who needs the help. And they said, oh, this dude, he's just a drunk. You just can't make him happy. Verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if thy mighty works were done, which were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, Tyre was pretty well a nesting ground for Tyre in the, in the Hebrew. It means rock. And what this was was a, basically a fortress, a trading fortress. It was an island, and it was basically impenetrable. The Assyrians came along and... and didn't quite get them taken over. The Babylonians came along and, and Nebuchadnezzar went to attack them. And most likely they paid them off. And then finally, Alexander built a bridge, a land bridge across and took over them. The, the importance of Tyre, though, is that they were a big Kenite, K-E-N-I-T-E, settlement. Not Canaanite, Kenite settlement. And they were traders and they were, they... That's just basically, that was their holdup. Verse 22. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell or to the grave. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. We all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how evil it was. It was absolutely a wicked place. And Christ is saying, if I would have went there and done the same miracles that I'm doing here, they would have quit. But you're still being wicked. Verse 24, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou, passed, thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, 
and has revealed them unto the babes. What he's saying here is the high and mighty is the holier than nows. He came. Christ came to bring salvation and those who were acting holier than now, he couldn't talk to them and they were blinded by their own ignorance. They were blinded by their own ego. But he's saying these good people, these ones who are humble, who are lowly, who, who are out here and accepting. Thank you for allowing them to see the truth. Verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this word rest, what this is, it comes from the same base root of what Sabbath is. That's what Sabbath means, is rest. Also, in the Gospels where it meant, where Christ would say, I have many mansions, that word mansion is mino, it also means rest. And so what he's saying is, come unto me and I will, I will ease your suffering. I will give you rest. I will take the burden from you. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Now, let's, we'll, let's get verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what is a yoke? A yoke is basically a collar that goes around a horse's neck or a, or a mule or an ox, oxen. And what it does, if you were to just take a leather strap and tie it around, say, like a, a mule's neck, just like a, a leash, and that mule was pulling a plow and he really dug down and went to pulling, that leather would end up cutting him and it would bind up and it would hurt. Whereas this yoke spreads that out, kind of like shoulder pads. And you put the yoke on, then you, you hook up your hands up to the plow, and then you got your reins up, and, you, and, and you're ready to go. And whenever he pulls, it distributes that weight, and so it makes that work easier. It's a, it's a tool of comfort to allow that mule or that, that, that working animal, whichever it may be, to be able to really pull on something without getting injured. Therefore, it makes the burden of pulling of whatever job he's doing, whether it be a plow or a wagon or whatever it may be, it makes it light. Now, chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was unhungered, and they that were with him? What this is talking about is when David was on the run, he had a few, few soldiers, a few friends with him, and he, got to, he came to a, a place, a, a temple, and he was hungered, and there was showbread. And we, he'll get into that in verse 4. How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither of them which were with him, but only for the priests. But 
David did eat the showbread and he and those who were with him. Because if you will look at the great book of Acts, David was a prophet. He prophesied. One of the greatest chapters in Psalms is Psalms 22, where David prophesied a thousand years before Christ, right down to the very details of the crucifixion, even down to the words that would come out of the high priest's mouth. The Roman soldiers parting his garments, his bones being out of joint, the entire thing, David prophesied. Let's see here. Next verse. Verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Now, what does that mean, profane the Sabbath? It means that the priests, they have to teach on Sabbath days. When, and at the time they had to give offerings. You know, they had the daily sacrifices and all that stuff. So to profane the Sabbath meant they were working on it. Well, nowadays, teachers and preachers work on the Sabbath. But that's okay, because Christ is our Sabbath now. Christ became our Sabbath. He became our Passover, which is the high Sabbath, meaning we can take rest every day in Christ. One day a week, don't cut it. Verse 6, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this mean, what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. And that is from Hosea 6, 6. And it's God saying, I don't want your burnt offerings anymore. I just want your love. I want you to know me. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogues. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Or ask him, asked they him, saying that. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? That they might accuse him. See, they're trying to trick him up. It shows how ignorant these folks are. That they are talking to God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And they're trying to trick him. They really think there's something else. Verse 11, And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. What he's saying is, if this affected your pocketbook, if your livestock was in trouble, would you just go ahead and take that hit? Would you go ahead and lose that money? Probably not. I'm sure they'd be they'd jump right down in there and do whatever they had to do to get it out, Sabbath day or not. But they want to play one upmanship here and go, Oh, are we gonna we're gonna heal this man down here? Is is that legal to heal this man down here? Verse thirteen Then saith he unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Now notice there was action on the man's part. Christ didn't just walk by and say, hey, you're healed. You're good. You're healed. That man had to stretch his forth out. He had to take the action of reaching towards Christ. He had to make that movement. Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Now that is a great bunch of preachers right there. You've got the Messiah walking around, doing nothing but good, healing people, cleansing people, teaching the gospel, teaching the ways of heaven 
and what it's going to be and what's to come. And they're going out here to try to destroy him. Man, that is a holy bunch of people. Verse 15, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias, the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. That's Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. What, what are we called nowadays? Christians. Christ men and women. That's what we are. Now let's talk about this bruised reed for just a minute. A bruised reed, if you think of a cattail or sawgrass, whenever it gets injured or whenever it gets damaged, that spot will become soft and it'll be as a bruise and just even a gentle breeze would cause it to lay over. What he's saying is he will walk through there and not even break something that's damaged that even the smallest breath of air could cause it to fall over. He'll be that gentle. And then also on this smoking flax, he, he shall not quench it till he send forth judgment. Now the smoking flax, if you have a candle with a wick in it, whenever that wick gets long as the wax is melting down from around it, the longer the wick gets, the more smoke gets in the flame. And the dimmer the flame gets. So let's take this spiritually. Naturally, our spirit, whenever we, were, whenever we are teaching, our spirit is like a light, and you don't put a light under a bushel basket. At the same time, in the world, things happen. Impurities happen. You know, we're all in the flesh. And in the flesh, there are times that sin comes about. And as that impurity gets into that light, it causes it to dim, and it causes it to you know, not be as bright, not shine as bright as it could. And what this is saying is Christ can reach in there and gently trim that wick back without ever causing that flame to, to flutter. All it'll do is get brighter. And that's what he can do with us. If you allow it, he can come into your life and he can trim your wick and get the impurities out of you to where... You shine brighter and brighter and stay pure and follow his word. And it's just a beautiful thing. Verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? The royal title. The son of David, David being the, the throne, therefore Christ coming through his lineage, that being king of kings and lord of lords. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, 
the prince of devils. Now, how ignorant can you get to say he's just over here putting on a slideshow, a sideshow, I mean, and he's really just a, the Lord of the dunghill. That's what Beelzebub means. Lord of the dunghill or Lord of the flies. And he's got these other devils. They're just working with him, you know, to make him act, make him show like he's powerful. 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And naturally it wouldn't. Verse 27. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Now this children, this word children, is the same word in the Greek that is used for disciples. So how do your disciples, talking to the Pharisees, how do they cast them out? Naturally they weren't. That's why everybody was so amazed by Christ, and that's why he was picking up so many followers. Because the Pharisees... Couldn't do anything that Christ was doing. They walked around and made a show and looked looked so royal and looked so holy. But that's all they did was look the part. They talked the talk, but they wouldn't walk the walk. Let's see, next verse. Oh, we're in the middle of that one. Therefore, they shall be your judges. Verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. He's saying, wake up. If you think I'm a devil, you, you, you're kind of dim. You're pretty dim. You're not, your elevator's not topping out. But the kingdom of God is coming to you. That means you better start repenting. 29. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. That's pretty straightforward right there. You either believe in Christ and have faith in Christ and God and are with God, or you're not. That's just cut dry. There's no this or that. He said, you're either with me or you're against me. 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. And we covered that about the unpardonable sin, about not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through you when you're delivered up before the Antichrist for that testimony that is to go around the world that goes out in the cloven tongue because it's not you speaking, it's God speaking through you. And it's that cloven tongue, just as was spoke by the disciples in the upper room, that went out and each person understood in their own dialect, plumbed down to the town where they were raised. Verse 32. And whosoever... Did we get that? No, here we go. Yeah, verse 32. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world, neither in the world to come. What he's saying is that those folks that don't believe in Christ or whatever, okay, that's forgivable. It is. 
But if it's your duty, if you are predestined as an elect to stand before the Antichrist and do not allow that Holy Spirit to speak through you, that's not forgivable because that is going strictly against God's will. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Now you can take a child and point to a tree. You can be out in a, say it's an apple tree, and he can look at that tree or she, and they'll be able to tell you, oh, that's an apple tree. Or that's an orange tree. That's a plum tree. Children can tell by the fruit. And as funny as we grow up, it seems that our judgment gets clouded. Maybe our discernment gets a little pushed on the back burner. Maybe we want to believe this good man or that good man and, and see past all the bad fruit and really want to see, really want to make a spectacle of somebody that, that shouldn't be made of. Verse 34, O generation of vipers, or this can be translated offspring of serpents, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, let's move over to John. Just We're going to go in depth a little bit more on this generation of vipers. St. John, chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up in, let me see here, verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Now he's, this is Christ talking to the Pharisees. You do the deeds of your father, lowercase f. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto him, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are the father, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, if you take that back, that goes all the way back to Cain. Well, what, is, what does Cain have to do with this? He was the first murderer. He was lying. What, is, what does he have to do anything with the generation of vipers? Because in Genesis chapter 3, we uncover that Cain was actually the offspring of the serpent. So in parable form, he's, given, he's, he's dressing this, these Pharisees down. Because you see, Caiaphas was a high priest who was not ordained by God to be a high priest. But he was chosen by the Roman government. And as Genesis chapter 3.15 says, as the first prophecy in the Bible, it said, I will put enmity between thy seed and the woman's seed. And he's talking to, to Satan here. Between thy seed and the woman's seed. The woman's seed being Abel, and then later Seth, and then umbilical cord to umbilical cord all the way to Christ. The serpent, his seed being Cain, 
which are the Kenites, K-E-N-I-T-E-S. And as you follow lines, Caiaphas was of that line. That's why he said, he will bruise your head, but you, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. They bruised his head, his heel, when he was nailed upon the cross. That's the whole reason that Christ came at the time that he came, was because it was only at that time that one of those of that seed, that Caiaphas, was in a position to be able to cause that prophecy to come to pass. Now we'll pick it back up in verse 35 of this 12th chapter of Matthew in our next study. God bless y'all. You have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691, or you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com. Thank you, and God bless you.